Good morning, church. How are we today? All right, all right. What a, this is, I mean, this is the Super Bowl, right? This is better than the Super Bowl. The opportunity we have to get to celebrate and remember the resurrection of our Savior. There's no greater thing that happened in history than what happened on that Good Friday weekend. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben Hurd. I'm the senior pastor. If you're visiting us, I'm so glad that you've decided to join us today. Let me invite you to grab your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 8. And while you're doing that, let me ask you this question. Have you ever done anything bad? Have you ever been guilty of something that you should not have done? Have you ever felt guilty then over those things? Hopefully everybody here has had those moments because we've all messed up at some point or another. And here's the fascinating thing that I have found about like guilt, feeling guilty. Like do you, do you remember things that you did as a kid that really are no big deal but you still kind of feel guilty about them? Uh, I remember one of the first major things I did as a kid, uh, we, my mom took me to the grocery store. It was a small paint packet place close to us. And in the aisle, they had Tidal Wave gum. Anybody remember Tidal Wave gum? So good. It was a square gum that had like juicy filling in the middle and you bit into it and it just filled your mouth and ran down your chin. It was so, so good. And so, of course, I asked my mom, hey, can I have this? And unfortunately, she said no. And so I did what any good little boy would do. I stole it. And here's the crazy part. I, I brought the gum home and thinking somehow, like I was hiding, I went under the kitchen table and started eating this gum. And of course, very quickly, my mom caught me and she made me go back to the grocery store and apologize and, get, and, and pay them back. And I remember feeling so guilty and so ashamed of that. Do you, do you know that feeling? Do you realize that before God, apart from Christ, that we all stand guilty? We all stand condemned before him because God is a holy, righteous God and we are not. Well, here's the reality and the, the wonders and the beauty of Easter. Here's the truth that I want us to walk away with understanding. It's this. The resurrection of Christ frees us from condemnation. Isn't that good news for you this morning? The resurrection of Jesus makes it so that there, has, there doesn't have to be condemnation for us anymore. And so we have a lot to cover this morning. And so let's just jump right into God's word. If you have your Bibles there in Romans 8, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You 
however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Father, what amazing truths we see here in these words. Father, we were all born into this world facing condemnation because of our sin against Almighty, holy God. Lord, each and every one of us deserves eternal suffering in hell, and yet you made a way by sending Jesus who died on the cross. But not only that, he defeated death and sin by rising from the grave, Lord. And we find great hope this morning knowing that Christ's resurrection allows us to be freed from condemnation. God, there, this is too deep for me to be able to express in man's words. So I pray, God, for, for help from your spirit that you would be moving amongst us today. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to perceive what it is that we need this morning, God. I pray that you would help me to communicate in a way that is helpful, Lord. Communicate in a way that is faithful, Lord, so that we could walk away understanding what your word says, being encouraged, Lord. And if there be any this morning who have walked into these these, through these doors this morning, not in Christ. May they lead being freed from their sin this morning. May it be so, God. So, Lord, would you lead and guide and direct us this morning, Lord. We are desperate for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some would say that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. Now, now we are at a church that believes that all of the scriptures our God breathed. And so it's hard for us to, to try to, to pick a favorite, but nobody can deny the depths of the riches that we read here in Romans 8. These are wonderful truths for us to comprehend. And what I want to start out this morning is just let's look back here at Romans 8, chapter verse 1 here to see what the truly good news is. Look at it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is truly great news, isn't it? But here is something that we must see. In order for it to be good news, there's something we must first understand. And that is this. Without Christ, we are condemned. Without him, we are condemned. Notice the wording there. There is therefore now no condemnation. That means at some point before this, there was condemnation. This is a new truth for these believers to understand the fact that in Christ there is no condemnation. But the reality for all of us that we must understand is that when we are born into this world, we are born under condemnation. And this leads us to ask a few questions. Why are we condemned? What who, who does the condemning, and why does this matter? I mean, when you think about the word condemned, what comes to your mind? What are, the, what are the things that you think of? Maybe you're thinking of somebody who's been convicted of a federal crime, a major crime, and maybe somebody is condemned to prison for life, or maybe even worse, condemned to death. 
Or perhaps when you think of condemned, you, you think of a, a property that's been condemned. Maybe mold has overtaken a house and that property has been condemned and no one can live in it any longer. Well, Webster defines it this way. Declared to be reprehensible, wrong, or evil. Pronounced guilty and sentenced to punishment. Officially declared to be unfit for use. This really, I mean, when you, when you understand your position before Christ without him, this is pretty accurate that describes who we are apart from Jesus Christ. And it is vital for us to understand this. So why is all humanity condemned at birth? Each and every one of us was created for a purpose. Do you know what you were created for? It wasn't for your job. You weren't created to have a family and provide for them. We were all created for one thing. We were all created to glorify God. Uh, The mission of our church is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We were all made, whether, whether we want to acknowledge it with our lips, whether we want to live our lives that way, we were all created to glorify God. But here's the problem. We were born being enemies of his. We were born being haters of God. You see, we weren't made to be happy. We, weren't, we don't exist for everyone to worship us. It's not our mission to do whatever pleases us. We were created for God and his glory alone. But sadly, too often, we live for our own glory. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. It's all of us. It doesn't say some sheep. It doesn't say most sheep. It says all, we, every one of us. We've gone our own way. We were born running away from God. Nobody is born loving God. You know, I've, I've asked people before, how long have you loved God? How long have you been a believer? I've, been, I've loved Jesus my whole life. And that's absolutely not true. Nobody is born loving God. All you have to do is to observe a child <laughs> to understand this truth, don't you? I mean, what is the one of the first words that a child learns? No. <laughs> you don't have to teach a child how to disobey you. You have to teach them how to obey. And you have to do it over and over and over again. And here I am 43 years later in my life and I still have troubles obeying sometimes. We don't have to learn to disobey. It's our nature to say no to what we don't want to do. It's been instilled in us from birth. We are born with a condition that leaves us separated from God. And because of this, it's why we stand condemned before him. You know, as followers of Jesus, we believe in eternity. And for those who refuse to bow their knee to Jesus Christ, that eternity is hell. It's eternal punishment. But for those who repent of their sin, who turn to Jesus, we believe that our eternity lies in heaven with Jesus forever. Each and every one of us has a choice to make. Do we believe that we were created for the glory of God? If so, are we living for the glory of God? And do we know where we are going when we die? These are questions that all of us need to understand. And when it comes to Resurrection Sunday, 
it brings us to this place where we have to ask ourselves, what have we done with the resurrected Christ? That's the bad news. And we must start here. We can't skip past this. You know, it's absolutely critical that we understand we are born guilty of crime against Almighty God. We must understand the bad news before we get to the good news. Because if we don't understand the bad news, then the good news, we don't need good news. See, it's the problem with all of us, and for so many of us, is, we don't, is, is that we need to be convinced to understand that we need to be saved in the first place. And we don't have to get, convince people to be saved. We have to, we have to first convince people to, that we're lost. And is it clear as you look out in the world, how's the world going right now? It's falling apart. That's the bad news. But here's the thing. The bad news is not based on what environment you're raised in. The bad news isn't who your parents were. The bad news is not tribulations, trials, sickness, death of loved ones, broken relationships. These are not the ultimate real bad news that we have to face. The bad news is our sin. It's each and one of, every one of us are responsible for our sin. We can't look and point to anybody else and say, they're the reason why I'm messed up. The reason why we are messed up is because we are all born with indwelling sin. That's why you can have two people raised in the same environment and one is flourishing in the Lord and the other one couldn't be angrier at the Lord. We are all responsible for that. But here's the good news. Christ's death frees us from condemnation. Christ's death frees us from condemnation. Look again at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Although we are all born condemned, there is a way out of condemnation. And who is it that escapes condemnation? There is no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, not everyone is free from condemnation. This isn't an announcement to everybody here. Hey, guess what? Everybody is free from condemnation. It's only for those who are in Christ Notice here, it doesn't say there is no condemnation for those who have done enough good works. It doesn't say there is no condemnation for those who have said a prayer when they were eight years old. It doesn't say there is no condemnation for those who were raised in a Christian family. The one who has no condemnation is the one who is in Christ. So we must ask ourselves, what does it mean to be in Christ then? And I think of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. 
being in Christ means we are a new creation. There is a change that takes place in our lives when we go from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. And that starts with understanding the fact that we need to be changed in the first place. We are born into this world, as we've already said, condemned because of our sin. We're going to walk through some scriptures here to talk about what does it mean to come to Christ. And so turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. As I've already said before, in order, to, in order for the good news to be good, we've got to understand the bad news. Romans 3.23. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard this one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, we were created for one purpose. Even those who refuse to step foot in the doors of the church, those who are cursing the name of God, every person who was ever, create, was ever made was created to glorify God. But here's the problem. We have all sinned, and therefore we fall short of the glory of God. That means we are condemned to death. We are condemned not only to physical death, but eternal death. And really a death that we never get over. We're just living over and over in hell, suffering because of our sin. God is holy and sin cannot be allowed in his presence. We must understand that. And here's, here's, the, here's where you got to come to understand. Like the, We may not be able to communicate to you. You may not be able to hear because you don't believe in God. And that's something that you're going to have to come to grips with. But if there is a God, that means we are responsible to him. And we fall short of his glory because of our sin. But that's not where God stops. Turn to Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23, we begin to see some good news. For the wages of sin is death. Here's the thing. Because we have sinned, our bodies are now dying. We will die because of our sin, physically. However, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is hope for us. There is hope for us. We don't have to stay in our sin. There's this free gift that God offers eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How did he do this? How did he do this? Look at Romans 5.8. Just flip back a page or two. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the reality. There is nothing that we can do to earn favor with God. We can't be good enough. We'll never be good enough. The best person who ever lived apart from Christ is still not good enough to be made right with Christ. Because even the smallest sin separates us from holy God who has never sinned. But here's the truth, right? None of us has a short list of sins. We have pages and pages and pages of sin. And God, for those who have repented and placed their faith, he's wiped that debt away. Jesus paid the price on the cross. Good Friday had to happen. There was no other way. We needed a substitute, and Jesus was our substitute. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. That's why we call it Good Friday, not Black Friday. Don't get those mixed up. I've done that before. It's Good Friday because our sins were paid for on the cross. 
And we see that right here in Romans chapter 8. So go back to our text of today, Romans 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So here's what we need to understand about the law. The Old Test- in the Old Testament, God gave Moses and the Israelites the law. And the promise was that if they kept the law, God would prosper them. He'd watch over them. He'd protect them from their enemies. They would have no issues, but they couldn't keep the law. Romans 8 points, us, points out that it wasn't the law that was the problem, though. What was the problem here? The law was what? Weakened by the flesh. It's our human nature, our sinful nature is what makes the law ineffective. Because, I mean, think of it this way. When you tell a kid, don't do this, what do a lot of kids want to do? <laughs> I remember our twins, we have five, they're six years old now. Uh, but when they were babies, we had one where you just, one threat. You know, you have that kid where you just, you just give them the stink eye and they're done, right? But you have the other one who's like, don't touch that ornament. And they're like, oh yeah, it's on. <laughs> and one of our twins was like that. I won't tell you her name, but uh, <laughs> we have boy-girl twins, by the way. But she, I mean, we told her, don't touch the ornaments on the tree. And I mean, she would just drawn to it, right? That's, that's, what, that's what the law does. It says you can't do these things. You must do these things. And our nature is like all of a sudden, oh, no, I ain't, I ain't doing what you're telling me to do because I, I make my own rules, right? Like that's the way our nature is. And that's why the law was ineffective because of our flesh. It's weak. It goes against the ways of the Lord. So the law is not the problem. It's the flesh that's the problem. And really, Paul is wrestling through this himself. And in chapter 7, let's look there real quick. We're going to be all over the place, by the way, this morning. But in chapter 7, verse 21, we see that Paul understands this struggle. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So he understands this struggle that he has. And that's why Christ had to die because we couldn't do it on our own. Christ accomplished what we couldn't by paying for our sin on the cross. So how exactly is a person saved? Keep your finger here and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Because I think this, I want your eyes on your scriptures, not just me reading it to you. So you look, you got Galatians, Ephesians. And it's right in the middle of all these things. Ephesians chapter 2, another phenomenal book. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, this is really a staple of the gospel. This is something that you've probably heard, if you've been here long enough, I've quoted these verses. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And so we need to understand, as I've said before, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. You will always fall short of the glory of God on your own. Grace and faith and salvation, all of these things are a gift of God. They're a gift from God so that there's no way to boast. There's no reason for boasting. What is the greatest sin in all of us? Pride. But when we come to Christ, it strips us of all of our accomplishments. We don't bring a resume to God and say, man, look at this, Lord. 
I'm pretty impressive. You probably want me on your team. We have, we have nothing to offer. We need to understand that. But that's, that's a beautiful thing when we come to the end of ourselves. Because if we don't come to the end of ourselves, then we're going to be tempted over and over again to boast in ourselves. Salvation is a gift from God. Jesus didn't die because we deserved it. Jesus died because, we, because there was no other way for us to be made right with God. Salvation is a gift. Now, turn back with me to Romans chapter 10. So, okay, we know we're sinners. We're separated from God. Jesus was our substitute by dying on the cross for our sin. Salvation is a gift. It's by grace through faith in Christ that we find salvation, not by works, so that we have nothing to boast. And so now what? What do we do with this? Romans 10, verse 10 and 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Salvation comes from confessing with our mouths that Jesus indeed is Lord and believing that he indeed rose from the grave. This is the path to salvation. This is the path to freedom from condemnation from God. Have you made this confession in your life? Have you come to the place where you have seen your sin You're broken over it. You've confessed it. And you've placed your faith in Christ for salvation in Christ alone. The scriptures say that if you've done this, you will be saved. And when this happens, there's a transformation that takes place in our lives. According to verse 2, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Verses 3 and 4 here point out in chapter 8 that God condemned sin in the flesh. That is Christ's body. Sin was, con- was condemned in Christ's body so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Think about this. In other words, if we confess our sins and we confess that Jesus is Lord raised from the dead, a transaction takes place. Jesus' fulfillments of the law justifies us and is as if God treats us as if we have never sinned. Think about that. I've heard recently in stories of people who were in prison for 20 plus years and it's just coming to pass now that they were wrongfully imprisoned. Like there's a sense of joy that comes from that man being released, but also isn't there a sense of anger? Like the judicial system is screwed up somebody's life, or there were people who said lies in order to get a person persecuted. But when you think of the reverse, you think of standing before a judge, utterly guilty, the blood is on your hands, the evidence points to you being guilty of all crime, you deserve death, and then somebody says, hey, judge, put the punishment on me. Let that sink in. Every sin you've ever committed, if you are in Christ, was placed on Jesus on the cross. And God poured out his wrath on him so that you might be made right with him. 
Is that not amazing? We don't come to Christ when we get it all together. We come to Christ because we can't get it all together. All of us are utterly guilty of sin before God. Not just in a small way, but we have sinned over and over and over again. And even in our greatest work, there's sin involved in that because it's for selfish gain. Yet through the blood of Jesus Christ and our repentance and faith in Christ, we can find ourselves no longer condemned. Amen? Is this true for you? Have you come to understand your sinfulness? Something that plagues all of us. My prayer for each of you is that you would come to understand your need for Christ. And if you are wrestling through that this morning, let me encourage you. I'll be around. Our elders will be around. We'd love to talk with you and help you think through all these things. Perhaps you came with somebody who you trust, who you can go to with these questions. Don't leave here if you are wrestling through that. There is hope for you this morning. You may find yourself thinking, I have messed up way too much in order to be made right with God. Guess what? That's true for everybody. Each and every person here has done far too much for God to be willing to rescue us. But he did it because of that fact. Not by works. So it it leads us to ask the question, how do we know if we've truly been saved then? How do we know if this transaction, how do I know if I'm really in Christ? Okay, I said this prayer, but how do I really know if I am indeed in Christ? Well, the reality is when that happens, there is a shift in our life that takes place. Look at Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, as salvation, we begin to set our minds on the things of the spirit rather than on the things of the flesh. What do I mean by that? What, what does that mean? And, I, and it, it makes me think of Philippians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I'll go ahead and just read it for you. But write this down if you want to look it up later. Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brothers. So this is, this is our minds are beginning to think on the spirit. We're setting our minds on the things of the spirit rather than the things of the flesh. Here are the things of the spirit. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is the sort of transaction that takes place, the transition in our lives. Our thinking turns to the ways of God. And and when you think about it, it is so clear that God's ways are best. I mean, here's why I'm so convinced so convinced and believe it's true when the scriptures say for unbelievers there is a veil where they just can't see it. Because when God opens your eyes to the reality of his word, it is so obviously true and so obviously better than the way the world thinks that only a person who is blinded wouldn't get this. So let's spend a couple minutes just contrasting the difference between being in the flesh And being in the spirit. So in the flesh, 
When someone wrongs us, what do we tend to do? Payback, right? Oh, they're going to pay for this. And isn't it easy to get other people riled up around you to get on your side? Like you just share how you've been wronged and people are, oh, how dare they? Let's, let's get the pitchforks out now. Like that's the way the flesh works. Like we, we're not going to let this injustice carry on. Somebody's got to pay for this. I'm not letting this happen. That's the way our flesh works. We want payback. Now in the spirit, somebody sins against us. What are we looking to do? We look to, rather than paying back, we look to forgive. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. You see, none of us here can say, I don't need to forgive. But how do you not need to forgive? If you are a bitter person, then how can you claim the gospel over here and yet be bitter to this person? Here's what you're saying. Oh, oh, God has let me off this hook, but I'm not letting you off mine. As if somehow we have a hook that's worthy to hook somebody on. Do you realize your sins against God are far greater than anybody else's sins against you? And yet, what did Jesus do for you? He paid the price for your sin. When Jesus was... Hanging on the cross after he'd just been beaten and spit upon and embarrassed. What did he say to the people as he was praying to his father? What did he say? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. You see the difference between the flesh and the spirit there? Payback versus I'm going to forgive. And, and here's the reality. As we grow in our faith, we understand that, that I can let somebody off my hook and, and let God deal with it. Because either God will bring justice to the situation in the way that he chooses fit, and that will be one of two ways. Either that person will be condemned to hell or by God's grace, he will rescue them from their sins. Here's another difference between the, the flesh and the spirit. In the flesh, we decide, have you heard this, make our own truth. <laughs> A little bit running wild right now, is it not? We get to decide what is right and wrong. What absolute truth is, if there is even absolute truth. We get to decide what, what a child is and when a, and a human becomes a human being. We can decide gender. Does it, you know, we, we like to say follow the science, but then we don't follow the science. It's confusing to me. Have you ever heard someone say, that's my truth? <laughs> Let me ask you, how does a society function if everybody truly believes that everybody makes their own truth, can a society sustain itself? Absolutely cannot. Look at the chaos that is going on in our world today. It's going on because everybody decides, I'm going to make my own truth. But here's the way the spirit works. We understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's given us his holy word so that we have absolute truth. We have questions about what is true. We look to his word. And we see that God made man, man, and woman, woman. And so when we come and the church comes together in unity, we find that when we hold to the truth of God and his word. That's the way of the spirit. We, we decide, you know what, I don't know what's best. And certainly my neighbor doesn't know what's best either. Only God does. If he is the creator, he gets to decide 
what is true. When a computer program programs something, who has control over what that program does? The programmer. The same is true for us. If God created us, and, and I don't know how you can look at the world and, and decide that we were an accident or that somehow there's this big bang and all of a sudden we came to be where these nothing came to, like where did the nothing come from? Like how do we get from nothing to all of this if it was an accident? It just makes no sense. There has to be a creator. And we have to come to grips. Do we believe there's a creator, a creator or do we not? And if you don't believe there's a creator, let me encourage you, like, I'm not condemning you for that. Let me encourage you to think through on that. Like, what does that mean for you? If there's no creator, then why do we have laws? What's to keep me from punching you in the face and say, well, that's my truth, that it's okay. <laughs> right? I mean, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. But how, this is why we need to understand. So coming back to the question, how do I know if I'm saved? Like, God transforms our minds. And so that really leads us to a place, though, like, but Ben, you don't understand. I still mess up. My mind still goes a little bit sideways sometimes. My flesh, I know what I want to do, but my flesh does something different. And here's what we need to understand here. This is, this is not about perfection. Again, Paul understands what we are going through when we have those moments. Look at chapter 7, verse 18 of Romans. He says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You see, there's a war that is raging within us. And Paul has the same battle. Sometimes he doesn't know what he should do, and, and he does what he shouldn't do. But he doesn't call himself an unbeliever. Look how it goes on in verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Can you just relate with Paul here? Like, Lord, I want to do what's right and I don't. And the very things that I, should, that I shouldn't do, I do. Who will... He goes on in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Here's the truth. Our, our, our flesh still drags us down. Like we have not yet arrived yet. And I think this could be so helpful for some of you who feel like, man, why do I keep struggling with this? It's because you still have your flesh. We still live in this flesh. Don't, can't we all realize? Like, the older you get to realize that, like, this body is failing me. You know, what I could do in my 20s, I can no longer do anymore. And now I find myself sore just because of sleeping. <laughs> you ever do that? You wake up in the morning like, I can't even move. What is wrong? Our bodies are failing us. Our flesh fails us. And because of our flesh, like we do stupid things, we do sinful things, but our, our minds are telling us like we love God and we pursue him. And so here's what we need, just need to come to grips with. Like we're not going to have this nailed. Nobody's batting 100%. But a way that we can understand, have, has God really rescued me, is that he is transforming my mind. And although my flesh is weak and although I fail, I'm seeing God progress me in my faith towards him. Has God done that for you? See, moving in your mind and then your behavior follows. Maybe not like we wanted to, but yet there is progress. 
The question we need to ask ourselves, though, is, is there fruit? Do I see this progression taking place? Perhaps you said a prayer when you were eight years old, but if there's been no change in your life, if there's no desire for God, if there's no love for his word, if there's no been, been no progression of your faith in Christ for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, then you need to ask yourself, am I really in Christ? But the beauty is Christ's death frees us from condemnation. Lastly, real quick, here's the last thing I want us to understand. Christ's resurrection gives us life. Look at verse 9 in chapter 8. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. So how do we know the spirit's dwelling in us? That's the conviction that we feel over sin. That's the desire that we have for his word. That's the sorrow we feel when we screw up. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if we're not feeling any conviction, if we're just going through life doing whatever we want to do because we say, well, you know what, God saves. I said a prayer when I was eight. My parents said I was saved, so I'm good. But you know what, I'm not doing anything for the Lord. The truth is the spirit does not live in you and you do not belong to Christ. But, verse 10, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Notice in verse 10, it says our bodies are dead because of sin. This is what we've talked about. Like our sins lead us, our, our flesh leads us away from the ways of God and he's transforming our minds. That's why there is a physical death because we need to be rid of this body that causes us to stumble. It's our flesh that is dragging us down. It's our flesh that is dying. But remember Romans 6, 20, remember Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is what? Is death. Because of our sin, our bodies are decaying. They're breaking down. I mean, just think about that. Think about the obsession that our world has with staying young. <laughs> I mean, how many billions upon billions of dollars is spent on trying to make us look younger than we are. And isn't it true for a lot of people? Have you seen like a lot of those who have tried to go through drastic measures to make themselves look younger that they actually have? It's, it's a sight to see. Uh, <laughs> I hate to be, <laughs> I mean, we'll call any names out. But we have this, like this obsession to try to keep ourselves younger. But why would we want to stay in this state? This is not our home. To, to be in the spirit means that we're not putting all of our eggs in the basket of earth. We are fading. This earth is fading. It has nothing to offer you long term. It always disappoints you. It never brings lasting satisfaction. And here's the truth. We can't take anything that we gain from this world with us anyway. You ever see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer behind it? Everything stays here. If you want to have true, lasting, eternal life, it can only be found in Christ. Tomorrow, we are going to probably wake up to snow on the ground. <laughs> Sorry to ruin your Easter. And if we put all of our hope in the weather in Indiana in April, first of all, let's talk after the service because you probably have some other things going on, we're going to be deeply disturbed. 
Jesus provides an escape, a, a way out from the death around us that we see. It's in him that we find life. It's when we die to ourselves that we actually find life in Christ. He is our eternal satisfaction. And so let me close with some questions here. Do you have life in Christ this morning? Are you in him? Do you see your sin? Have you repented of that sin and placed your faith and confessed Christ as Lord? If that has genuinely happened for you, then you have new life. If that is you this morning, let me remind you that salvation doesn't take away all of your problems, though. You're still going to suffer. But here's the thing. We have a hope that lasts beyond this world. Jesus right now is preparing a place for you in eternity. So we don't have to let these momentary afflictions take away the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. You won't find life here in this world. You won't find lasting hope in the things of this earth. It's found in Jesus alone. Outwardly, we are wasting away, but inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. And if you find yourselves this morning contemplating Christ, perhaps you know that you have not repented of your sin. You have not turned to him. We all have to decide as we look at the world whether or not we believe there is a creator. And if there is a creator, what does that mean for us? And my plea with you this morning is that you would be able to see the brokenness in your life. That God would expose the sin that you, that you have. And that you would see the hope that is in Jesus alone. Even today, the tomb of Jesus is empty. He is risen from the grave. And those whom he has set free is free indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for the eternity that we get to spend with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that even though we are wasting away outwardly, even though our flesh pulls us away from you, we still have everlasting peace in you. And Lord, I pray for those uh, who have truly repented of their sin and placed their faith in you, God, would you remind them of the hope of the gospel, Lord, that you have taken off our chains. You have freed us from our sin, Lord. Fill them with utter joy. God, for those who do not know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that this, this morning would be the opportunity for them to turn from their sin, to repent of it, and to place their faith in you. Would you take the blinders off so that they could see the hope that is in you? God, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the hope that we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray.